Do you think about why the Word of God has power? The pages of Scripture reflect the personality and experiences of each of its authors, and the endurance of the Bible attests to remarkable and, at times, miraculous preservation. But while Satan works to prevent the production, translation, and proclamation of God's Word, he completely and utterly fails. That's because the ultimate author is the Holy Spirit. Welcome to Every Last Word, a radio and internet program with Dr. Philip Ryken, teaching the whole Bible to change your whole life. Stay tuned now as we see that God always has the last word. We're in a series in the book of Jeremiah, and over recent weeks, we've been building on the theme of promise and deliverance. Today, we look more closely at the Word of God itself. Well, Phil, uh, today we deal with the story of a man who didn't fear God's Word. What does it mean to fear God's Word? Well, it's a shocking story from the Bible. This King Jehoiakim, who actually burned the scroll of Jeremiah's prophecy, and it's really shocking what the man does. He's a man who doesn't fear the Word of God. To fear the Word of God is to treat it with respect and awe. It's to believe what God says. It's to pay very careful attention to the warnings of the Word of God. It's to trust God's promises and obey God's commands. It's to treat the Word of God with total respect. Well, in all honesty, Phil, I'm sure I'm like other people, and I find it hard to be consistent in reading God's Word. Do you have any suggestions on uh, how I might change that? Well, Mark, let me just give a couple of practical suggestions, things that people can do to encourage their own Bible reading. I mean, one thing I sometimes tell people is if you want to read the Bible, all you really need is a copy of the Bible and a bookmark and just start reading, start reading at the beginning of the Bible, start reading of the Gospels and just keep on reading. But there are some very helpful tools I can recommend. There's a very helpful reading guide called McShane's Calendar for Bible Readings. It's a simple chart to keep you moving through the Bible at a reasonable pace, reading the whole thing in a year. Another thing our listeners can do, though, Mark, is to go to the everylastword.org website and bookmark the God's Word Today readings. You'll find there daily Bible readings with commentary from Dr. James Boyce. I mean, it'd be a wonderful way for people to follow along in their daily Bible readings. But, you know, even for all the tools that we can suggest to people, really, our time in the Word of God comes down to a commitment of the heart. Do I really want to spend time getting to know God? If I really want to do that, I need to spend time in His Word. And I need to pray for the Holy Spirit to help me do that. Thanks, Phil. We're in Jeremiah 36, where we should all turn now to listen to God's Word for us today. We may know the Scripture to be the Word of God by its miraculous preservation in all ages. The Holy Scriptures are the richest jewel that Christ has left us. And the Church of God has so kept these public records of heaven that they have not been lost. The Word of God has never lacked enemies to oppose and, if possible, to extirpate it. But God has preserved this blessed book inviolable to this day. The devil and his agents have been blowing its Scripture light, but could never blow it out. A clear sign that it was lighted from heaven. Those are the words of the Puritan Thomas Watson. And as he Rightly observed, there have been many enemies who have sought to extinguish the light of Scripture. Once, they even tried to burn it. During the days of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, 
All Jeremiah's prophecies were written out on a scroll and then taken to the king in his winter apartment. As he sat warming himself by the fire, he used the very Word of God for kindling. So tonight you might say that this entire series of sermons hangs in the balance. If Jehoiakim succeeds, there will be no Jeremiah. There will be no warning sign at the crossroads to follow the ancient path and the good way as we read in chapter 6. There will be no boasting in the knowledge of God as there was in chapter 9. There will be no linen belt. There will be no lament for the desperately deceitful heart. There will be no promise of the new covenant, no seeking after the welfare, the peace, and the prosperity of the city. If Jehoiakim succeeds, then all of Jeremiah's prophecies will go up in smoke. And yet, tonight, we hold in our very hands the prophecies of Jeremiah. All of them, every last prophecy that Jeremiah ever uttered, And thereby we know the Scripture to be the Word of God because of its miraculous preservation in all ages. Jeremiah 36 is about the writing and the receiving and the rejecting and the preserving of the Word of God. First, the writing. This chapter explains how many parts of the Word of God passed from the mind of the Holy Spirit to the pages of the Bible. This word came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Take a scroll and write on it all the words I have spoken to you concerning Israel, Judah, and all the other nations from the time I began speaking to you until now. God tells Jeremiah to write down all his prophecies. The year is 605 B.C., and so Jeremiah has now been prophesying for some 20 years. It's often pointed out that his scroll needed to be short enough to read three times in one day. And yet it is still reasonable to think that this scroll would have contained nearly all the prophecies that we read in chapters 1 through 25, and perhaps also in chapters 46 through 51. These words that Jeremiah wrote down were not his words, they were God's words. And although this book reflects the personality and the experiences of the man Jeremiah, nevertheless, its ultimate author is the Holy Spirit. So what Peter wrote about all biblical prophecy applies to Jeremiah. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation. For prophecy never had its origin in the will of man, But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. In other words, the Word of God is the Word of God. The words that we read in these pages are not words from Jeremiah about God. They are words from God Himself. And that is why they will never lose their power. We learn the reason why God has written down His words in verse 3, and it is to save His people from their sins. Perhaps 
When the people of Judah hear about every disaster I plan to inflict on them, they will turn from their wicked ways and I will forgive their sin. This verse helps us interpret many of the prophecies of Jeremiah, his terrible prophecies of divine judgment. Those prophecies are not intended simply to terrify. They are intended to save. Perhaps the people will turn from their wicked ways. This is true of all the threatenings of God. They have always had as their purpose, the gracious purpose of turning people away from their sin. So Derek Kidner asks, why else should God pour out threats unless it is to bring us to our senses and to His feet? The preaching of final judgment and eternal punishment is founded upon the grace of God. The Word of God tells us that we deserve to be damned for our sins in order that we might run to Christ for salvation. And in order for Scripture to have that saving purpose, it must be written down. The words of Jeremiah had to be committed to paper. And so while Jeremiah dictated all the words the Lord had spoken to him, Baruch wrote them on the scroll. And this is how many parts of the Bible were recorded. First, they were revealed, and then they were remembered, and finally, they were written. That word which was revealed by the Holy Spirit was then remembered by the prophet Jeremiah and then finally written down by the learned Baruch. Baruch was more than just a scribe. He was Jeremiah's executive secretary. And so in addition to taking dictation, he also handled publicity as we read in verse 5. Jeremiah told Baruch, I am restricted. I cannot go to the Lord's temple. So you go to the house of the Lord on a day of fasting and read to the people from the scroll the words of the Lord that you wrote as I dictated. Read them to all the people of Judah. And so now, a year after Jeremiah began to work on his scroll, Baruch went to the temple. A fast had been proclaimed throughout Judah, very likely because the Babylonians in that month had defeated the Philistines at Ashkelon and there was a panic in the city of Jerusalem. Jeremiah himself was prevented from going to the temple. Perhaps it was because the Lord prevented him or perhaps because of some ritual cleansing he needed to undergo. Or perhaps it was because his notorious sermons had made him public enemy number one. In any case, Baruch was the man who was chosen to risk his life for the sake of God's Word. Now, Baruch himself had some misgivings about serving as Jeremiah's stunt double. and We will encounter those misgivings when we come to chapter 45. But nevertheless, he did everything that Jeremiah the prophet told him to do. At the Lord's temple, he read the words of the Lord from the scroll, from the room of Gemariah in the upper courtyard. He read to all the people at the Lord's temple the words of Jeremiah from the scroll. Now, when it was first published, Jeremiah's book received mixed reviews. Baruch read it to everyone, but apparently most were far too busy with the ritual of fasting to actually repent. 
as Jeremiah's prophecy instructed them to do. And yet there was one man at least who was hanging on Jeremiah's every prophecy. His name was Micaiah. And he demonstrates the proper receiving of the Word of God. First, there is the hearing of the Word. Micaiah, son of Gemariah, the son of Shaphan, heard all the words of the Lord from the scroll. Verse 11. He listened to the Word of God in its entirety. He did not doze off in the middle of the reading or leave before Baruch was finished. He listened to Jeremiah's prophecies from beginning to end. The members of the royal cabinet also listened to the whole Word of God. And when Micaiah told them about the scroll, they sent word to Baruch, and Baruch brought them the scroll, and they invited him to sit down. And then Baruch read it to them, and as the Scripture says in verse 16, they heard all these words. Like Micaiah, these officials were attentive hearers to the Word of God. Receiving the Word of God properly always means hearing the whole thing from beginning to end. This is why expository preaching is so valuable. It takes God's Word, the way that God gives it to us, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, and book by book. This is also why the systematic reading of the Bible is so valuable. As we practice in our morning services, reading through the Psalms, and then reading through the New Testament, coming to the end, and then going back and beginning with the first chapter. And this is also why every Christian needs to make regular practice of reading the Word of God. Get a Bible, get a bookmark, and start reading. Reading God's Word means receiving it in its entirety. And the best way to hear God's Word is to hear it whole. Next comes the fearing of God's Word. When Micaiah heard that God was angry against Judah's sin, he feared the Lord greatly. Immediately, he went to tell his father and the other members of the king's cabinet. And they also were fearers of the Word of God. When they heard all these words, they looked at each other in fear. Literally, they trembled right in front of one another. You see, it is one thing to hear God's Word, and it is another to fear it. Heeding all of God's warnings and trusting all God's promises and obeying all God's commands. To fear God's Word is to accept and to recognize that you are a sinner and to believe that Jesus Christ has died for your sins and then to obey all of the commands that you read in Scripture, living the whole of your life according to God's will. And then after that comes the sharing of God's Word. To receive God's Word properly at all means to pass it on to others. When Micaiah heard these words of divine judgment, he could not keep them to himself. He went down to the secretary's room in the royal palace where all the officials were sitting and He told them everything he had heard Baruch read to the people from the scroll. The cabinet, in turn, wanted to tell the king. They said to Baruch, we must report all these words to the king. But first, they were very careful to make sure that this was the authentic word of God. So they asked Baruch, tell us, how did you come to write all this? Did Jeremiah dictate it? Yes, 
Baruch replied. He dictated all these words to me, and I wrote them in ink on the scroll. Once they were certain that this was God's word, they pleaded with their king to receive it. As we read down in verse 25, Elnathan, Deliah, and Gemariah urged the king not to burn the scroll. These men were evangelists. They were not content to hear the word of God for themselves. They wanted others to hear it as well. And they wanted them to hear the whole thing. Micaiah told them everything he had heard. The cabinet reported all these words to the king. And this is all the more impressive when we remember that what Micaiah and the others shared was not good news. It was all about God's judgment against sin. I wonder how much of our own evangelism takes seriously the wrath of God against sin. We do sometimes testify to the grace and the goodness of our Lord Jesus Christ, but how often do we explain how much God hates sin and how He intends how severely he intends to deal with it in the end. News of divine judgment has a place in evangelism. People have to hear the bad news about sin and death before they can ever receive the good news about forgiveness and salvation. Receiving God's Word means hearing it fully, fearing it greatly, and then sharing it unflinchingly. It should come as no surprise to us that a son of Shaphan should receive the Word of God in that way. We would expect nothing less from a grandson of Shaphan, who himself was a great man. He served, I should remind you, as Secretary of State under King Josiah. When the book of the law was rediscovered in the temple, Shaphan was the one who read it and reread it for the king. And Shaphan was also a good father. Great spiritual leaders do not always raise godly children, and yet Shaphan did both. His sons are among the forgotten heroes of the Bible. Ahikam, son of Shaphan, this is chapter 26 of Jeremiah, verse 24, supported Jeremiah, and so he was not handed over to the people to be put to death. Chapter 29, Alasa son of Shaphan, carried Jeremiah's letter to the exiles in Babylon. Chapter 36, Gemariah, son of Shaphan, was one of the officials who took Jeremiah's scroll to Jehoiakim. The godly influence of Shaphan extended also to his grandchildren. We have read about Micaiah in this chapter. But his cousin Gedaliah, son of Ahikam, the son of Shaphan, rescued Jeremiah in chapter 39 and brought him to his own home when Jerusalem fell. He later became the governor of Jerusalem. You see, the sons and grandsons of Shaphan were great men of God. They were national leaders and they were great lovers of the Word of God. And therefore, Shaphan serves as a model for us of Christian living in a post-Christian culture. Those of us who are parents must raise sons and daughters who receive God's Word and then are willing to go anywhere and do anything to share it with others. 
Jehoiakim, sadly, did just the opposite. He did not want to hear God's word. He did not fear God's word. And he sought to prevent anyone else from sharing God's word ever again. His private book burning shows the consequences of rejecting the word of God. Jehoiakim had never been a godly king. His cabinet members, as we see in this passage, never knew how he would react, and so they were always prepared for the worst. This time they took the precaution of hiding the scroll and then sending Baruch and Jeremiah underground. After all, as we learned in chapter 26, Jehoiakim had been so angry with the prophet Uriah that he had him extradited from Egypt and then executed. So the officials said to Baruch, you and Jeremiah go and hide. Don't let anyone know where you are. After they put the scroll in the room of Elishama, the secretary, they went to the king in the courtyard. The scene for what is now the third reading of Baruch's scroll is memorable. Who can forget it? Yehudi brought the scroll and read it to the king and all the officials standing beside him. Because it was the month of December, the king was sitting in the winter apartment with a fire burning in the fire pot before him. Whenever Yehudi had read three or four columns of the scroll, the king cut them off with a scribe's knife and threw them into the fire pot until the entire scroll was burned in the fire. Jehoiakim did not even wait for Yehudi to finish. As he unrolled each section of the scroll, the king began his outrageous act of censorship. Methodically, he used the scribe's penknife to cut and to burn Holy Scripture. Why did he do it? Perhaps it was because Jehoiakim believed that by burning God's words, he could prevent what they prophesied from ever occurring. If that is what he thought, he failed to recognize that the power of God's Word is not just the power in the words, it is the power of God Himself. I suppose the most shocking thing is how very casual Jehoiakim was in this defiance of God's Word. Verse 24, the king and all his attendants who heard all these words showed no fear, nor did they tear their clothes. The arrogance, the contempt, the insolence of that king. He even added injury to insult by sending away to have Baruch and Jeremiah arrested. It was a very different scene when the book of the law was discovered in the days of King Josiah. When that good king heard the words of the book of the law, he did not tear the words, he tore his own clothes in repentance. And the contrast is absolute. Truly, these are the only two ways to respond to the word of God, either to receive it or to reject it, either to hear it or to ignore it, either to fear it or to forget it. Dwight L. Moody once put it this way, put this difference between a man like Josiah and a man like Jehoiakim. Either the Bible will keep you from sin, or sin will keep you 
from the Bible. There are many sons and daughters of Jehoiakim in the world today, sinners who will not sit long enough to hear a biblical sermon. Bible scholars who cut and paste the book of Jeremiah rather than receiving it as the Word of God. Believers who only open their Bibles in the pew on Sunday. Preachers who spend all their time figuring out how a passage will preach, but not enough time figuring out how to get the passage back into the preacher. I suppose it is true that at this church we think of ourselves as great students of the Word of God. Well, maybe we are. And yet, is it possible? Could it be that we are much more like Jehoiakim than we have ever admitted to ourselves or to others? Could it be that we ourselves spend as much time avoiding the implications of God's Word as we do studying it. If it is true that we hear God's Word as well as we think we do, then we must be great sharers of the Word of God. You know, there does come a time when you are sitting at a great banquet when you must get up from the table. And if there are others who are hungry and thirsty, then it is also the same time when it is to tell them that there is a great feast spread out so that they too may eat and drink. I suppose with so many sons and daughters of Jehoiakim in the world, it is a wonder that there is any Bible left for us to read. And yet the Word of God is indestructible. No sooner had the first edition of Jeremiah been reduced to ashes than the second went into production. Verse 27, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. Take another scroll and write on it all the words that were on the first scroll, which Jehoiakim, king of Judah, burned up. And so Jeremiah took another scroll. And as Jeremiah dictated, Baruch wrote on it all the words of the scroll, that Jehoiakim, king of Judah, had burned in the fire, and many similar words were added to them. What a great irony that Jehoiakim himself should make an appearance in this new manuscript. For among the many similar words that were added were these words of horrible judgment that we read in verses 29 through 31. Note especially the great irony of verse 30 for a king who had been so very anxious to keep himself warm. His body will be thrown out and exposed to the heat by day and the frost by night. I will punish him and his children and his attendants. Notice also them, culpable for not preventing Jehoiakim from doing what he did for their wickedness. You see, God always has the last word. The Bibles that we hold in our laps testify to the remarkable, at times miraculous, preservation of the Bible. Satan has done his very worst to prevent the production and the translation and the proclamation of the Word of God. And yet he has completely and utterly failed. Consider all of the reliable manuscripts of the Bible. The books of the Bible are far and away the best attested writings of the ancient world. 
And then consider the great number of English translations now available, many of them which we can read from our very shelves. Or consider the work, the great work of Bible translation which is going on at this very moment all over the globe. In fact, in this very sanctuary, you can see two of the translations of the Scriptures in the display cases at the back of the sanctuary. In a decade or more, the Gospels of Jesus Christ will be available in every known language. And sometime after that, I suppose, the prophecies of Jeremiah, those very words which Jehoiakim cut from the scroll and burned in his firepot, will be read around the world by every tribe and by every people and by every nation. The Word of God may sometimes be despised, but it cannot, will not ever be destroyed. Thanks be to God in the words of the Westminster Confession that the Old Testament in Hebrew and the New Testament in Greek, being immediately inspired by God, by His singular care and providence, have been kept pure in all ages. There are many remarkable stories of the preservation of God's Word. One of the best comes from the early days of the English Reformation. William Tyndall had just published the first translation of the New Testament into English, and in his great rage against the Protestant gospel, Archbishop Wolsey began to burn copies of Tyndall's Bible at St. Paul's Cathedral in London. The Catholics needed more Bibles to burn. And so when the Bishop of London traveled to Antwerp, where the Bibles were printed, he tried to buy as many as he could, and then listen to this ancient account. It happened that one Augustine Packington, a merchant of London, was in Antwerp, where the bishop then was, and this Packington was a man that highly favored William Tyndall. The bishop, desirous to have his purpose brought to pass, discussed the New Testaments and how gladly he would buy them. Packington said unto the bishop, My lord, I know the Dutchmen and strangers that have brought them from Tyndall and have them here to sell. If it be your lordship's pleasure to pay for them, I will then assure you to have every book of them that is here unsold. The bishop, thinking that he had God by the toe, when indeed he had the devil by the fist, said, Gentle Master Packington, get them, and with all my heart I will pay for them whatsoever they cost you, for I intend surely to destroy them all and to burn them at Paul's cross. Packington came to Tyndall and said, William, I know you are a poor man and that you have a heap of New Testaments. I have now gotten thee a merchant with ready money who will buy from you all that you have if you think it profitable for yourself. Who is the merchant? said Tyndall. The Bishop of London, said Packington. Oh, that is because he will burn them, said Tyndall. I am the gladder. I shall get money of him for these books to bring myself out of debt, and the whole world shall cry out for the burning of God's word. And the money that shall remain to me shall the said New Testament make again, and so newly imprint 
all over. And so forward went the bargain. The bishop had the books, Packington had the thanks, and Tyndall had the money, and also financing for his second edition. Afterward, when more New Testaments were printed, they came thick and threefold into England. And the Bishop of London, hearing that there still were so many New Testaments abroad, sent for Augustine Packington and said unto him, Sir, how cometh this, that there are so many New Testaments abroad? And you promised and assured me that you had bought all. Well, if you had been Packington, what would you have said? The ultimate answer to the bishop's question comes from the pages of the Bible. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we give you praise for that great and providential, even miraculous series of events which is brought into our hands this night, chapter 36 of Jeremiah. And we give you praise for all the pages of the Bible and for the gospel that they contain, the good news of salvation in Jesus Christ. And we give you praise that your word will stand forever. And it is in Jesus' name that we give you this praise. Amen. You have been listening to Every Last Word, a ministry of the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals, featuring the Bible teaching of Dr. Philip Graham Riken. We appreciate your ongoing support of this broadcast ministry. The Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals exists to promote a biblical understanding and worldview. Drawing upon the insight and wisdom of Reformation theologians from decades, even centuries gone by, we seek to provide contemporary Christian teaching, that will equip believers to understand and meet the challenges and opportunities of our time and place. The Alliance also produces the radio broadcasts The Bible Study Hour, featuring the teaching of the late Dr. James Montgomery Boyce, and Dr. Barnhouse and the Bible, featuring the Bible teaching of the late Dr. Donald Gray Barnhouse. For a full list of radio stations carrying our programs, please visit our website at www.alliancenet.org. Every last word continues through your generous gifts and financial support. If you would like to see this program continue to benefit others as it has benefited you, please prayerfully consider becoming a friend of the Alliance. For more information or to make a contribution, please contact us by calling toll-free 1-800-488-1888. You can also send us a gift by writing to Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals, Box 2000, Philadelphia, PA, 19103. Or you can visit us online at www.alliancenet.org. Be sure to ask for a free resource catalog featuring books, audio teachings, commentaries, booklets, videos, and a wealth of other materials from outstanding Reformed teachers and theologians. Thank you again for your continued support and for listening to Every Last Word. <laughs>